0: Hi, church family. I'm so glad that we have this ability to connect online. We're about to go into one of our messages, and I pray it blesses you. If it does, make sure you share it with a friend and and share the love around. Make sure that you click like or subscribe so that you don't miss any of our messages that we upload weekly. And jump in the chat so that we can connect. Even though it's virtual, let's make sure that we connect. So sit back, enjoy, and I pray that you're inspired and blessed. It's a big one. I'm talking tonight on sexuality. Um, Just a light topic, really small topic, not much to cover. Um, And so when I actually chose this topic, I was like, it's it's a really big one in the world uh, right now. It's a really big one that is shaping the world. It's shaping society. And I think, to be honest, if you talk about elephant in the room and these kind of topics that are, are shaping culture, I would say this is the biggest one. Because it's personal to every single person. Sexuality is personal to all of us. Every, every single one of us is going to walk this journey of sexuality. So my goal for the message tonight is this. I'm, I'm going to take a seat because I feel like I'm going to have a conversation here. My goal for this message is that we as the body of Christ would know how to glorify God in our sexuality. And we'd know how to engage people and culture in this topic of sexuality because one thing i know and this is why i honor your pastor for going after this kind of topic is sometimes christians can tend to bury their head in the sand but the church is not called to bury its head in the sand the church is called to be a city on a hill a light that's shining a beacon of hope that's pointing to our lord and savior jesus christ and so i know there's some tensions in this topic I know it, I can feel it in the room. Even as I say it, I can feel that the topic of sexuality just being tense. So I was honestly in worship being like, should I just preach on evangelism, God? Should I just like that's what I'm gifted for? Should I just change it right now? Lean across to Caroline, just say, Hey, do you mind if I switch this? But it's so important that we talk on it. So I, I know there's tensions because there's so many different people, and so maybe you're a Christian here tonight and you feel like you've got a great biblical understanding of sexuality and god's desire for sexuality maybe you're a christian here and you would say i'm actually a little bit confused on the whole conversation on the whole topic because of everything i see portrayed in the world and the narrative that's being spoken i'm, I'm not 100 percent sure what to believe maybe you're not a christian and you don't agree with the bible and you've actually got a totally different perspective on sexuality than what you would have heard Christians talk about, I want to say this to you. You're welcome to be a part of this community. You're welcome to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ if you're on that journey of going, hey, what do Christians actually believe? We love having people who are on that journey. And maybe you're a Christian and you would say, hey, I actually feel like I don't really agree with the Bible. I don't really feel like this topic of sexuality is very clear in the Bible. So my goal is that we as the church would know how to glorify God in our sexuality and we'd know how to engage in this topic in culture and society with people. It's big. It applies to all of us. Now here's what I know. 18 years of following Jesus, he radically transformed my life when I was 19 years old. So now I'm 37. 18 years I've been following him. Did someone say that's old? I heard that. I heard that over there on the right-hand side. It's like, oh, I thought he was old. Um, Here's what I know to be true in my life as a Christian for 18 years around this topic of sexuality. That I have been quick to speak and slow to listen. Now, if you know your Bible, you're like, but that's the opposite of what the Bible says to do. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, that's what I've done. Book of James chapter 1 verse 19 says this, be slow to speak and quick to listen. Proverbs chapter 18 verse 13 says, if one gives an answer before he hears it, it is his folly and shame. That scripture in the message version says, answering before listening is both stupid and rude. <laughs> Anyone love the message? It's just like, we're just going to cut through the layers here. We're going to tell you exactly what we think listening speaking before listening is both stupid and rude and as i read these scriptures i'm like as a christian i have been very just blunt on this topic and i've been very quick to speak very slow to listen another thing that i've realized in my journey is that i have been very hesitant or resistant to engage in the conversation or to engage in relationship with people who are practicing a different sexuality than I am. I've been very hesitant or resistant. And I just realize as I'm seeing the culture of the world, I'm like, that's not what I'm called to do, and that's not what you're called to do. We are called to engage with people, we are called to walk with people, we are called to love and to steward people. We're not called to resist engaging with them. We're not called to be quick to judge. You know what the Bible calls that? A Pharisee. And Jesus says, no, I'm not here for the Pharisee type people. I'm here for those who are lost, who are seeking to be saved, who are broken, who are hurting. And so my goal is for us to know how to honor God with our sexuality and how to engage in this conversation in society. This is what Philip Riken says. He's the president of Wheaton College in America. It's a Christian founded college. He says, Our sexuality, what we do with it and what we don't do with it, turns out to be one of the most spiritual things about us. Our sexuality, what we do with it and what we don't do with it, turns out to be one of the most spiritual things about us. Can we all agree this is a really big deal? Can can we agree sexuality, if Philip Ryken is right in saying what we do with our sexuality is actually saying who our Lord is, It's actually one of the most spiritual things about us. I think it's a really, really big deal. So I don't want to assume that we all fully understand sexuality because it's the biggest topic in the world, I think. Uh, So I don't want to assume we all understand it. There's a lot in it. This is what sexuality is. Sexuality is about your sexual feelings, your uh, thoughts, attractions, and behaviors towards other people. I did some research on this. There's five different components to sexuality. There is sensuality, which is the enjoyment, the expression or the pursuit of physical, especially sexual pleasure. Intimacy, which is referring to sexual intercourse. Identity, how to identify with your sexuality. Behaviour which is how you act on your sexuality, and then reproduction and sexualization, which is seeing someone in sexual terms. That's sexualization. Obviously, reproduction is reproduction. And so, when you look at, look at actually what's wrapped up there in sexuality, you realize, man, this is, there's a lot in this. And I'm probably not gonna do a good job in 19 minutes and 42 seconds left, but we're gonna try our best to point to scripture and answer that question, how does sexuality shape us? How does it shape us? Because I know this, about every single one of us, sexuality is hardwired into our system. We are created that way by God. Sexuality is not evil, it's, it's hardwired. And our desires, when it comes to sexuality, our desires lead us towards our choices, and our choices lead us towards our actions, and our actions lead us towards our outcomes. So to put that in just four points there, it's desires, choices, actions, outcomes. And if you look at that in regards to sexuality, and you leave and make uh, decisions in your life through that lens, it's your desires that lead to your choices, that lead to your actions, that lead to your outcomes. And it's that way for most of our lives. All the areas of our lives actually kind of fall into that category. You you are probably living where you're living because there is a desire to live there. You're probably working in a career or some kind of study because you desired to be there. And those desires became choices that led to actions and outcomes. I look at that in my own life. Uh, I've been married now for 13 years this year to my beautiful wife, Tara. And... It started with desires. When I looked at her and went, hmm. <laughs> and that led to choices. I, I think I'm going to pursue this girl. Yeah. That led to actions, me actually taking her out on a date. That led to outcomes, two children. <laughs> Now there's a lot that happens in our lives, but the reality is I had a very broken uh, life before I met Jesus. And my relationships were really broken and this story of sexuality was very broken for me. And so God has actually led me on this very restorative, redemptive journey to reveal to me, I'll share it another time, how he revealed to me to marry Tara. It was one of the most supernatural experiences of my life. And it was in that moment that I realized God is so serious about our sexuality, and he's so serious about our holiness. So what does the Bible say about sexuality? Pastor Mark Ramsey preached brilliantly around sexual immorality, so he covered a bit of this. But to understand sexuality as believers, we've always got to look to the Word of God. That's why we're doing this series, is because we want to have a biblical worldview on all of these topics. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28 says this, Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, Fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So in the first chapter of the Bible, in the story of creation, we see God creates two genders, male and female. And he says to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, which is obviously referring to reproduction. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 says this, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that's what its name was. That's crazy, hey. God is so interested in working with humanity. That man, and the man gave names to all livestock and to all birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and he closed it within, in its place with flesh. And the rib that he took, the Lord God formed from the man that he had made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last... Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called. Whoa. Man. She's fine. Like, can you imagine the guy's just being put to sleep and he wakes up and there's a naked woman standing in front of him? He's not just like, she shall be called woman. He wakes up and he's like, whoa. <laughs> like, seriously, you gotta think about these things like, it would have been wild. Then, It says in verse 24, that was a bad old preacher's joke, I'm sorry. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were unashamed. So in this story, we see the creation of uh, the the woman coming out of the man, uh, but we see this first reference to husband and wife, that they shall leave their father and mother and become one flesh. So from the beginning... Of God's design and creation for humanity is that sexuality would be played out would be lived out inside the context of marriage between one man and one woman now I don't know everyone's story here tonight and we live in a society today that is very complex there is a lot of different narratives that are being told around this And you might be here tonight, and you might say, well, that's not what my desires tell me. And that's not how I feel like I'm made. And that's not how I feel like my makeup is is pointing me in that direction. You need to understand this. The biblical narrative, from start to finish, is actually one of marriage. So in the beginning, we see God creates Adam and Eve, and he says, hey, you'll be you'll be one flesh you'll be a marriage and then you go through the old testament and you see these po- poetic prophetic books like the song of solomon song of songs where it's a story about this man pursuing his wife this man pursuing his lover which is ultimately god pursuing us his people then you see this story about hosea who's a prophet And it's a story about this woman, this wife, who is whoring and lusting after other things other than the man that she's betrothed to. And that's a prophetic picture of us as people whoring and lusting after other things and God, the ultimate faithful husband, pursuing after us. And then you come to the New Covenant, the New Testament, and you see that God dies on the cross for the sin of the world, Jesus does, and then he rises from the dead. He ascends into heaven, and then he gives us the Holy Spirit as a down payment for his return. It's like an engagement. He's like he slipped a ring on your finger and he said, I'll be back. You're mine. And then it ends, this whole book ends in the book of Revelation with the marriage supper of the Lamb. So the whole goal of sexuality being played out is actually one, between one man, one woman, inside the covenant of marriage, not ultimately so we can fulfill our own sexual desires, but it's to point to a bigger picture and a bigger story, and that is the story of God marrying his people. It's not just so you can just be married and be happy, it's not just so you can live out your sexuality, it's not just so you can figure out that you've got crazy sleeping habits, this is what I learned when I got married to my wife. I never knew that I was a sleep oraker or a sleep talker. Until a few weeks back, I uh, was lying in bed and I was asleep. My wife was asleep and I was having this dream that the ceiling was coming down. Does anyone have those dreams? And in my sleep, I'm thinking, Lachlan, you've got to get out. And you've got to save your wife. Like any good man, any good knight in shining armor, so I get out of my bed And I walk around to where the feet of my wife are. I lift up the blanket and I rip her out of the bed. And I'm still asleep and I wake up with my wife being like, you're a lunatic, what are you doing? And I'm like, the roof's coming. No, it's not. All good. Go back to sleep. (laughs) I didn't know any of this until I got married. You're not just getting married so you can find out some of the weird quirks that you've got in your life. The goal of marriage... Is about pointing to the ultimate marriage the covenant of Jesus and his church God and his people Philip Reichen goes on and he says between the blind date and the wedding reception from Genesis to Revelation the Bible sets our relationship to God in the context of marriage for example the prophet Isaiah tells us that our maker is also our husband Isaiah 54:5, and our relationship to God is to be so exclusive that we are spiritually betrothed to him 2 corinthians eleven two. 2. so maybe you're here tonight and you're listening or you're listening to this message later on and you're like mate all good for you you're married and i'm burning up with desire here and all i want to do is get married so i can i can be happy if you're sitting here and you're thinking that marriage is going to make you happy i'm here to encourage you my friend it's not and if you have sexual brokenness in your life, if your sexuality is not whole and you think getting married is going to make you whole, you're going to take the brokenness of your sexuality into your marriage and that's going to create problems in your marriage. So if you're sitting here saying, if I can just get married, then my sexuality will be sorted. No, it won't. It'll be magnified. Now, maybe you're sitting in the room or you're listening to this later and you're, you're thinking... Well, I don't fall into that category. I'm actually same-sex attracted. And as I sit here listening to the Bible or reading the Bible or listening to you speak, I'm angry and I'm frustrated. Because according to the Bible, I can't outwork my sexuality how I feel I want to outwork it and how I feel I'm meant to. Maybe you fall into that category. I don't want to be blind and deaf to the fact that There are people in our churches who are same-sex attracted. And if that is you, I want to say this, my friend. You're welcome here. You're welcome in the family of God. It's it's not about being a a heterosexual or a homosexual. Because the reality is, if we make sexuality the pinnacle of our life, we've turned it into the sin of idolatry. And that's what ultimately got us into this mess and this brokenness in the world. We see how brokenness and this sin nature shapes the brokenness and the culture of society. And if you look at the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3, the devil comes to Eve and tempts her. Hey, did God really say, You can eat of that tree? You're going to know good and evil just like God. So she eats, and Adam ends up eating, and then they they all of a sudden realize they're naked. It says this, Genesis chapter three, verse seven. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Do you know who told them they were naked? Shame told them that they were naked. And right now, the world is covered in shame because sin brings about shame. And the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's what we see happening in people's lives and in this story and in this topic of sexuality. The devil comes to steal. God's original design, and his ultimate plan is to steal, kill, and destroy. But my friend, Jesus came that we may have life and have it to the full, that we may have abundant life. But the sin that the world fell into ultimately distorts our view of God. Therefore, sin distorts our view of everything else, and it distorts our view of sexuality. And sin is a misalignment of God's perfect will. That's ultimately what sin is. It means to miss the mark of God's perfect standard, of his desire, of his will. And you'll see, we as people living in sin, we love individualism. Individualism means to be independent and self-reliant. And so we've all, at some stage in our life, lived out this life of being independent and self-reliant, and I'm going to do things my way, and I'm going to make myself happy, and therefore we chase after our own desires, and we don't live according to God's standard. We don't align to God's standard. And because of sin, it means this conversation around sexuality has become very complex in the world. Because of sin, we have sexual immorality, which Pastor Mark spoke on, which is anything outside the context of marriage between one man and one woman. Because of sin, we have pornography and porn addictions, which is so real in the church. We have marital affairs. Some dear friends of mine just found out there's an affair. I'm just broken for them because of sin, because of taking your eyes off the prize of Jesus Christ and placing it on something else. We have the LGBTQIA community. We have gender dysphoria. And in my research, I found that there is now supposedly 76 different gender types. On Facebook alone, you can choose from 58 different gender types. Now, I'm not sitting here preaching to make anyone feel condemned or to make anyone feel bad. Because as a heterosexual Christian, someone who is um, attracted to the opposite sex, sometimes we can sit in a place of pride as Christians and the church, kind of puff our chest out and be like, that's ridiculous. I'm, I just can't believe that's even something. But that's not our place as the church to puff ourselves up with pride. So I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad, but I am trying to point our eyes to look at the state of the world and the culture of society and to open our eyes to say, this is who we're called to reach. We are called to reach people who are living outside of alignment of God's heart and God's desires and God's righteous standard. And we ourselves are called to bring our sexuality into alignment with Him also. Sam Albury, who is a pastor, he's an apologist, he's an author, he's a speaker, and he's also same-sex attracted, but he's actually celibate. He's He's not practicing, he's not acting on those desires. He says this. He says, there is a harvest within the gay community. So woe to us if we are not actually engaging in the path of proclaiming Christ there. I'm preaching to myself right now. Because so often I've stood in that place of pride and I've been like, well, I don't struggle with that. But I do have friends who do struggle with it. And they are trying to follow Jesus and they've prayed to Jesus and saying, God, can you change my desires? And they still have those same desires. And therefore they're asking the question and many of them I've seen, Walk out of church and start to act on this lifestyle because they felt like there was no place for them inside the church. It's complex. I've read a great book. I'm going to put an image on the screen right now. It's called "A War of Loves" by David Bennett. This is a great book. If you want to actually read more into this um, oh yeah, it's up there if you want to read more into this uh, topic, this is a great uh, story of a guy who grew up realizing he was gay, same-sex attracted, wasn't a Christian. He started to act on it. And as he acted on it, he encountered Jesus down the track, had this incredible encounter, realized that Jesus was Lord. And then he went to the church, and he felt like, I'm not welcome here. I'm not welcome with the way that I feel designed. And so he ran away again. Then God, and his love, pursued him, brought him back into the church. And it's this incredible story, the whole way. And all the way at the end, ultimately, he says, this is what I've realized. It's about bringing my sexuality under the lordship of christ even though i still have these desires i still have these feelings i'm bringing them under the lordship of christ so he is celibate he's not acting on it but he still says i still think this way i still feel this way i still feel wired and maybe you'll like that in the room tonight or maybe you know someone like that it definitely has been proclaimed that this This sin of homosexuality is the biggest sin of all sins. But the Bible actually levels the playing field in Romans 3.23 and says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us has sinned and we are all justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So I'm going to ask the keys to come on, on up. I'm nearly done. I just want to finish on three practical ways. How do we glorify God... In our sexuality how do we glorify God the first one is this we surrender our sexuality to the Lordship of Jesus we surrender our sexuality to the Lordship of Jesus James Hudson Taylor has a a great quote he says Christ is either Lord of all or he's not Lord of all he's either Lord of all our lives or he's not Lord at all We cannot live this life of raising our hands, I raise a hallelujah, I declare your goodness God, I pay a tithe and then I walk out and I live this life in secrecy. We've gotta surrender every single part of who we are to the Lordship of Jesus. And we ultimately look to Jesus Christ as our example. He's our example of what a surrendered life to the Father looks like. Jesus, the Son of God in flesh, Surrendered his sexuality in pursuit of holiness. Now, if you're going to go home and Google, did Jesus get married? Don't do it because the first thing that's going to come up is that Jesus was actually gay and all these wild things, but it's not true. So don't go home and, and Google that. But this is what I realize is that Jesus, God, is actually really, really passionate about our holiness. And I remember as a younger man, before I was married, I was in another relationship. And this relationship was one of those relationships where I was worship leading on a Sunday, leading people into the presence of God. And then I'm going and living this unholy life every other day. And I remember this one weekend, I'd just been away camping with friends and with this girlfriend. And I remember living, it was unholy the whole weekend. And I remember coming and leading worship this one night. And as I led worship, It was like the Holy Spirit said, Lachlan, do you think you can live your life how you want and still try and be in relationship with me? He says, I'm gonna give you a taste of what it's like for me to remove my hand off your life. And in that moment of leading worship, it felt like the presence of God lifted off me. And I can tell you right now, my friends, I have never felt a terror like I felt in that moment. I've never felt a fear of exposure In that moment where I just stood there, felt like I was completely naked leading worship in front of the church going, oh my gosh, everyone knows. And then the presence of God came back on my life. And God spoke to me and said, you cannot live according to your own desires. You must surrender your life to me, your whole entire life. How do we glorify God in our sexuality? You've got to surrender it to Jesus. He's got to be Lord of all. Otherwise he is not Lord at all. Even in marriage, even with what you're looking at, even on Instagram, you gotta surrender your life and your sexuality to Jesus. And we can often look at that thought of Lordship as someone who's trying to stop us or take something from us, but that's not not what the Lordship of Christ is. The Lordship of Christ is actually about giving, giving something to us. In the presence of the Lord, there is freedom and there is liberty. David Bennett, who wrote that book of War of Loves, goes on and says, The very legitimate fear of giving everything to Christ is the greatest enemy to discipleship. We fail to realize every part of us, not just our sexuality, is baptized into the love of God. He's Lord of all. And if we try and hide everything, we resist His Lordship. And we resist becoming his disciple. You look at Jesus surrendering. You look at the Apostle Paul surrendering. He says in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 7, he says, I wish that all were as myself am. What's he talking about? He's talking about single. I'm so excited for Stacey Tarrant to preach next week. She's at my church and she has the most awesome understanding around singleness. Singleness is not a disease. I just want to say that. If you are single here and you're desiring to be married, praise God. If you're single here and you're desiring to be single, praise God. The apostle Paul says, I'm single and I wish everyone could be single as I am, but some can't be, so get married. (laughs) How do we glorify God in our sexuality? We surrender it to God's design under the Lordship of Jesus. means anything outside of the biblical understanding of marriage And sexuality between one man and one woman is not surrendering under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Second one, how do we glorify God in our sexuality? We understand our sexuality is not our identity. Now, this is a big one that the world is trying to proclaim. Your sexuality is your identity. But the Bible says in Genesis 1 verse 26, Then God said, let us make man in our image. We are not heterosexual or homosexual or asexual. We are image bearers of God Almighty on the earth. Knowing this helps me look past my sexuality towards my higher calling as a child of God. It's so freeing when you don't make sexuality your identity. It's not, you're not designed that way. And I believe knowing this, knowing that sexuality is not anyone's identity helps me engage in the conversation with people who are of a different sexuality than I am. This precious girl who works in this Coles uh, supermarket near where I live uh, is is gay. She's, uh, you know, always wearing a pride flag. She's got all the wristbands and the shoes and all this stuff on. And every time I do the self-checkout, I feel the father's heart just beating for her. And every time I go to talk to her, there's all these people around. I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do. And I walk out awkwardly. And one night, A couple of months ago i had to walk in at at like just before it closed because i'm a fam uh, a father of a young family so i'm going to get bread and milk for the 400th time that week and as i walk in there's this girl standing next to the door and i just feel god's heart for her and so i just stop and i just start to engage hey what's your name what's your story tell me like and she starts to tell me everything and i said hey can i ask you a question do you have a faith she's like no i don't have a faith i said oh because i'm a christian and every time I'm near you, I just feel God's heart for you. He loves you. My goodness, you could have heard the walls come crashing down in her heart. She was resistant as soon as I brought up the topic of faith. And as soon as I leant in and said, I've been feeling to tell you how much God loves you. These tears started to well up in her eyes. And she started to open up. Oh, actually, there might, there, I think there might be a God out there somewhere. I went in and got my groceries. And as I'm paying at the checkout to come back out, she's moved from the doors over there to right near next to where the checkout is. And I walk out and she's like, what are you up to this weekend? And she's just fully like open, telling me about her family. And as I walked off from that conversation, telling her that Jesus loves her, that Jesus died for her sin, all of our sin, I saw this lightness come uh, over her. And I sat there thinking, this is what we as Christians are meant to do. We're meant to engage in people who are struggling that sexuality is their identity. But when you stand and prophesy over people, prophesying is revealing the mind of Christ over people. When you stand and you tell people Jesus loves you and he created you on purpose for a purpose, you're revealing his identity over them. I believe there is freedom in it. Sexuality is not our identity. The third one is this. How do we glorify God in our sexuality? we realize temptation is not a sin. Temptation is not a sin. There's a lot of temptation in this sin. I mean, this sexually saturated world. Hey, movies, social media. I mean, just go to the beach. It's wild. There's an old neighbor, um, Frank, he's 88 years old, lives on the the property of my church property. He neighbors to the property. And we had to redo a fence on the property. And so he came to me to talk about paying for the fence. And I was actually writing a message on sexuality. He says, what are you doing there, laddie? He was Irish or Scottish. I said, I'm writing a message on sexuality. He's like, oh my goodness, that is so hard in this day and age. He goes, I play lawn bowls up at the Burley Bowls Club. And he goes, man, you should see some of these young girls who walk past wearing their little string bikinis. He goes, and the old guys are trying to bowl and they're like, like they're like losing it. He goes, I just don't know how people do it in this day and age. And I thought, you're so right. There is so much temptation in the world. The devil wants to lure us away. But here's what we need to understand. Hebrews 4:15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. I don't know what you're like, but if I'm going to follow someone, I'm going to follow someone who's been through the struggles that I've been through and someone who's who's done it without sin. That's the one I'm going to follow. Jesus has been tempted just as you have been and I have been, yet he has remained perfect and holy. And that's why Jesus could go to the cross as the perfect lamb, the sinless sacrifice to redeem all of humanity back into relationship with God. So whatever the sexual temptation that's coming at you, just know the enemy's going to fire thoughts. He's going to fire everything to try and get you to take hold so that you can fall into sin. But just because you're tempted, that is not sin. Hebrews chapter 12 says, let's lay aside every weight and sin that tries to ensnare us and entangle us. And let's run with our eyes fixed on Jesus. How do we glorify God in our sexuality? We surrender our sexuality to the Lordship of Jesus. We understand sexuality is not our identity. And we understand temptation is not sin. I would love for us to stand right now.